it says, like he says, my second time here on Maui, um, third time to Hawaii in general. And uh, I do enjoy it here. I mean, who doesn't? There's beautiful beaches and trees and warm weather. I live in Boston. So we have warm weather for about 0.5 seconds a year. And then the rest of the time, it's much different temperature. Um, so it is interesting. When I leave Boston, it's 44 degrees. And then I come here, and it's like, whoo, it's hot. Uh, so I, I don't complain. I, I do. I'm grateful to be here. But I, I just don't have a ton of time, a lot of time with you today. And so I won't take up too much time, because um, I definitely want to get through to our Q&A. But I often am asked when I engage with people, why am I a Christian? Why is it Christianity that, is it that I've chosen as opposed to so many other different worldviews? And this is something I never intended to do a talk on. Um, I figured when I would get into conversations with people, we would talk about a range of different things, and they would never ask me necessarily about me. And little did I know, about 45 minutes into a conversation or an hour in, I may be talking about evidence for the resurrection or how science doesn't contradict God, whatever. And they'll say, okay, Alicia, you know what? Why are you a Christian? In other words, I hear all these things that you're telling me about how there seems to be so much evidence pointing towards God, but why is it that you have chosen Christianity? And I had to take a step back and think about that. And it wasn't something that I could, I even came up with an answer with even in a few weeks. I really had to analyze myself and so what I'm going to do is take you through a little bit of my story in the sense I'm going to start from when I was a kid and kind of take you through a little bit and to, to help you to understand why I still am a Christian today. And hopefully you will find something here that resonates with you as well. I will say that I grew up in a Christian home, just so that you are aware. Uh, I went to church. I went to youth group. I went to young adults group. I went to, um, you name it, I went to it. <laughs> uh, and I, So I don't ever remember not being a Christian or not serving God. Uh, I don't remember my conversion at whatever point it was. And as long as I can remember, I have been a Christian. Uh, I'll see, now I'm having issues. Oh, there it goes. Oh, now it's really going. Okay. So the answer to me as a kid, if you were to say, why are you a Christian? It actually would have been quite simple. I'm a Christian because it made sense in my world. You say, Mom, how did we get here? God made us. Okay, that works. And, Mom, why should I do this or why shouldn't I do that? Well, because God says, oh, okay, that works. And that's great when you're a kid. But then I got older, and while for me as a kid, Christianity explained my small world as I knew it, and that would be my, my answer to why I'm a Christian, when I got to college, things became a little bit different. I went to a Christian school in my undergrad, and during my time there, we were required to take a Bible class, uh, an Old Testament class and a New Testament class. So I was, I believe, sitting in my Old Testament class, when uh, my teacher raised a couple questions. Uh, actually, actually he, was a, he was a Christian man. He was a wonderful man and really one of the biggest influences in my life. But he began to teach me things about Christianity that I just had never heard before, and it just shook my faith. And in that Christian class, that one class, not a whole semester's worth of class, but that one class rocked everything that my Christian faith, that my Christianity meant to me my previous life. And I walked out of class saying, there is no way that there is a God. One 40 minutes, 50 minutes, whatever it was, hour and 20 minutes. And I remember walking back to my dorm and just kind of looking at the sky and looking at the grass and the squirrels and being like, this is it. That's all there is. This is all that there is. No point in looking forward to anything else. This is just an empty place. But thankfully, I was able to kind of get through that. I was a Christian who was pretty well respected in my school. It was a Christian college. I was in the gospel choir, and I was one people came to for prayer. So who in the world was I going to tell that I was questioning things? 
not a soul. To this day, I've never told those friends. But for those few periods, those few weeks, that period of time, I had to ask myself and question and say, okay, Alicia, if there is no God, there are certain things that have happened in your life that you have to explain another way then. Certain prayers that you offered that nobody knew about that were answered. Certain other things that demand an explanation if you say there's no God. And I realized there is no other explanation for it, and that was enough to get me to say, let me look at this all again. And I reconsidered Christianity. So as a college student, my answer to why I'm a Christian would have been that I just can't explain my life experiences in any other way. It's a little bit of progress from when I was a kid. But that still brings me today. A full undergrad degree later, a master's degree later, my answer would be probably quite different. It's probably a little bit more complex. The more I read, the more I learn, the, the more complex it is. And so the answer I have for you now is going to be based off of the next several things that have shown me why I choose Christianity over anything else. Last night you heard Andy talk about, for those of you who were here, the different religions, the different faiths. They all claim to, to um, believe in different things, but they all also claim a certain moral code. There's a certain way in which you should live. And they encourage their followers to adhere to their moral code. And morality is important, right? When we look at what's going on in the world, we look at what's going on in ISIS, we look at what's going on in different places, we want to say that these things are wrong. And we feel that they're wrong. We think it's not okay when Boko Haram kidnaps 200 young girls and women and boys and sells them into sex slavery. We think that there's something wrong with that. In other words, morality does matter, and we have a sense that certain things are right and wrong. But how do we know? See, the problem is that ISIS thinks that what they're doing is morally good. So who is right? I say it's morally wrong. They say they're morally good. How do I know how to live? Is there a standard in which everybody is held to in this world? Now, people can say, but how, Alicia, how do you know that your Christian morality is right? Well, you know what? I think that's a really good question, and that's fair. Because the same thing can be asked of Allah. Same thing can be asked of um, the God in, in the Mormon faith. Okay? God's in the Mormon's faith, okay? Um, same thing can be asked. How do you know, how do you know your moral uh, code is right that God has given you? Well, here's the interesting thing about Christianity. Christianity doesn't just say God just randomly tells us which things are good and which things are bad. He doesn't just say, hey, rape is a bad thing and love is a good thing. Because if he randomly just arbitrarily picks something like that, well, then the next day he could say, hey, rape is now good and love is now bad. So he can't just randomly pick certain things that are good. Christianity doesn't say that. He doesn't just tell us to do good things because he thinks that, oh, that's what we want to do for today. What Christianity teaches, and what's compelling for me, is that essentially it says that anything that God commands has to be consistent with his nature and his essence. In other words, God isn't just randomly picking good or bad things. God is commanding something that is consistent with who he is in his nature. And if in a very broad philosophical kind of sense, God is the highest, greatest conceivable being, so perfectly good, perfectly knowledgeable, all of these kind of things, then anything that that God commands that comes out of his nature, you can trust. So for example, love is good, not because God just randomly says love is good, but because God is love itself. And Christianity, therefore, gives me a moral standard to know that I can trust what God is actually telling me is right and wrong because it's consistent with a perfectly good being. He doesn't just command it. He is the good himself. Not every faith can claim that. 
How do I know I can trust the faith of those other belief systems? And so for me, the morality piece in Christianity is very compelling for me. It helps me to know that when I look at somebody else doing something, I can really say, yeah, that's a great thing, and that's not a great thing, and I really generally know whether or not it is good or wrong. Some other faiths, it can be bad to lie here, but it could be okay to lie over here. It could be bad to do this over here, but it could be okay to do that over here. Okay? You don't find that inconsistency. But Christianity also offers me a framework through which to approach life. It's one thing to tell me how to live. It's another thing to tell me how do I deal with life itself. This whole idea of the human condition. Christianity offers me meaning and hope. And without either, it's even harder to walk through this life. I had a friend who I, a young lady I met on a plane, coming back from L.A. to Boston. She was sitting next to me in the plane, and she began to share with me stories about her life. She was going through a really, really hard time, suffering from depression and a variety of other things. And she had just had a conversation with her parents, and it didn't go well. Basically, they were going to disown her in a few years. So she was really struggling. She began to, to cry. This person I'm just sitting next to on the plane. We got together. Her and actually, it was, I was on the window. She was in the middle, and there was another girl on the aisle. So the three of us kind of chatted a lot. The three of us actually got together um, later on, maybe a month or so after that, and got, went out for dinner. And uh, it was, we went for Korean barbecue. It was really good, and it was fun and everything. And then... Um, you, like I, I called her a couple times, or I texted her a couple times to see if we could connect, and it just didn't really happen. Found out several months later that she had taken her own life. And I remember feeling so devastated that she had gotten to the point in her life where she just felt like she couldn't live anymore. I talked with some psychologists and psychi some psychologist friends of mine, and they would say the surest sign of someone who's at that point in their life is helplessness and hopelessness. Helplessness and hopelessness. When somebody gets to that point, you need to be concerned. What happens when we feel like we just can't go on? When we feel like there's nobody that can, that can help us, when we feel like there's nowhere to turn, we feel like it's it, it's over, there's no way things can get better. What does Christianity have to say about the way that I feel when I deal with things in life? There was a, there was a movie and it has this, this um, clip in it of a uh, guy going to talk to a doctor. And I'm just going to paraphrase it. Uh, but this guy goes to a doctor. And he says, doctor, doctor, I, I'm not doing well. And the doctor says, relax, relax. The great clown Pagliacci's in town. You go see the clown. He's going to do a lot of fun tricks and a lot of fun activities. And he's going to make you so happy. And the man looks at the doctor and says, but doctor, I am the clown. Where do we go when there's no place in life left to make us laugh, make us find joy, make us have hope, make us smile again. See, Christianity tells me that the, re the, the whole reason for my existence, the purpose for my existence is to experience God. He is the fulfillment of all of my desires, to experience him, to experience this world around me, all the pleasures of this world. But he also tells me that it will be a world of pain in which he will walk with me through. And if he walks with me through this, I will not ever be alone. So he tells me in those moments when you feel helpless, in those moments when you feel hopeless, you don't have to feel that way. I think we throw the word hope around a lot in our society. 
and then we think, oh man, I, I'm gonna have a birthday party next week and I really hope you can make it, okay? Fair, totally okay to say. But when the Bible talks about hope, it talks about hope in a grander sense, in a larger sense. It talks about hope that is secure, a hope that we can have a guarantee, a hope of a confidence in what is to come. In other words, no matter how bad what is happening right now, nothing can make that future hope, that future goodness go away. Imagine that I was going to get in my car. And um, just like any of us, right, when we get in our car, we should put on our seatbelts. Okay? Why do we do that? Because we know there's a chance or a possibility that we can get in a car accident. Okay? But if I knew that there was a guarantee that I would get in a car accident and die, I wouldn't get in the car accident and I wouldn't get in the car in the first place. Okay? A guarantee of something changes the way that we live and experience life. The possibility of me getting in the car accident meant I'm just going to put on a seatbelt. But the guarantee means I'm going to avoid it at all. It requires a major life change. And that's what the hope that Christianity offers me does. It overhauls my way of feeling down or my way of, of processing and dealing with things because there's a guarantee of something in the future that is to come that I have to look forward to. And that future that I have to look forward to is being reunited in close relationship with my creator. And what else is left for somebody to hold on to when they feel so at the end of their strength, but a promise that one day, one day, they will smile again. And for me, Christianity speaks to our human condition. But it's not only the human condition that Christianity speaks to, but the very essence of people it's themselves. And look around this world, especially in a place like this, right? There is a lot of beautiful things in this world. If I was to take you to a museum, um, you would see, we would probably look at a lot of beautiful paintings. We, if we were to, oh, the moon, this whole super moon thing, right? I went up the mountain. I don't even remember the name mountain, but we went up the mountain. And it was so amazing. Like, the moon looked incredible, okay? I remember speaking to a friend of mine who's a philosopher. He's an atheist. He's a very happy atheist, according to him. Um, and uh, I asked him one day, I said, has there ever been a time in life in which you wish God existed? And he was like, nope. There's never been a time in my life when I wished that there was a God, where I felt like I was in need, where I, nothing like that. I said, okay. And he goes, but you know what? There have been times in my life when I've been struck by the beauty of creation and been sorry that there was no one to thank. He felt, although he saw beauty, he felt like part of his experience in the beauty, part of him experiencing the beauty was to connect with the author of it. But in atheism, there was nobody. So his experience left him still wanting and desiring more. Imagine if I take you to a museum and we see something beautiful, a beautiful painting. What's one of the first things we say? Who is it? Who painted this? It really doesn't, like, why do we ask that? Why is that our natural inclination once we see a beautiful painting is to ask who? Because part of our experience is to connect with the creator of it. See if I can give you an example of that. Imagine I show you this picture here, um, and I say to you, I want to give you, the, I want to sell you this picture, and I'm going to sell it to you for $50. Okay, you might look at me and think, now she's really lost her mind, Okay. What if I say to you, well, let me tell you a little about this picture. This picture was drawn by a young girl who grew up in a war-torn country. 
And while she was um, playing outside with her friends, she stepped on a landmine and it blew off her arm. This is the first picture she drew with her prosthetic arm. Now would you consider paying $50 for that picture? The minute I tell you about the author is the minute that picture looks more beautiful to you. The minute you know, the minute I look at every one of you and see that there's an author created by every one of you, the minute it changes how beautiful I see you. And what Christianity does is it tells me that your creator looks at every one of you and finds you beautiful, finds you valuable. Not because you've earned it, because you've done anything great, but just because you are his creation. I don't think I can fully experience the beauty of this world without knowing the creator of that beauty. In the same way that when we look at this picture, it changes the way that we see it as beautiful. Morality, human condition, beauty, and finally one last thing on love, and I'll turn over for time of Q&A. Andy went through, for those of you here last night, you heard Andy go through um, this whole piece on love, and this is one of, my, it's one of my favorite things about Christianity, really, this whole idea that in Christianity, God demonstrates love for us in the greatest possible way through self-sacrifice. That is a problem for a Mormon who doesn't believe Jesus is divine. That's a problem for a Jehovah's Witness who doesn't believe Jesus is divine because their God never sacrifices. If their God never sacrifices his life, then that means I could give my life for any one of you and love you in a way that's greater than that God is ever able to show love for you. And that's a problem with that God. And I find this concept beautiful. I find this concept of love, of demonstrating love, because in Christianity, God is relational. So just saying I love you isn't enough. Showing it is an important part of it, because he's a relational being. He interacts with us. And I find that to be one of the most compelling things as to how we know that not only is a Christian God, doesn't, not only does a Christian God love us, but he also is perfectly morally good. I want to close on just one um, quick story. There was a, a couple, Gordon and Norma Yeager, who were married for 72 years. Gordon was 94 and Norma was 90 when they were driving one day and they got in a horrible car accident. During, this, during their time um, in the hospital, their condition got worse and worse and worse. And the doctors finally took the two of them and put them in the same room so that they could hold hands. Gordon was asking about how his wife was, and of course she was asking how he was. And so they held hands. Not long after that, Gordon passed away. But it was really weird when he died. His family looked at the nurse and said, but we know he's dead, but why is the heart monitor still showing heartbeat? And the nurse looks over at the wife and says, she's holding his hand still. And the heartbeat is picking up her heart beating through his body. The heart monitor is. And I think essentially what God wants us to understand is that when we accept him, he says, allow my heart to beat within you. Let me give you the life that I desire for you to have. Allow me to live with you and through you, through the moments of pain through the moments of uh, tears and deep agony, even when you feel like you have no life, my heart, me, can beat through you. And I love that message about Christianity. I love the message that I'm never alone. 
I love the message that I know how to look at people in this world as beautiful. I love the message that I know how to live. And I know, I love the message of knowing how deep the Father's love is for me. So why as an adult am I a Christian? Because the person of Jesus proves that God is a perfectly good, loving creator whose love for his creation offers guidance for how to live on this earth and pave a way for them to be reunited with him in the next. The real hope of every Christian. I don't know where everybody is in here, in here today, but I would ask you three questions. Number one, what are you doing about faith? Number two, is whatever you're doing about faith actually helping you? And number three, if it's not, what would you do differently? What are you doing about faith? Is what you're doing helping you? And if not, what would you do differently? And if any